Hey everyone, and welcome to A Plain Accounts Weekly Podcast. I'm Pastor Alicia, here with another phenomenal guest co-host, my friend, Pastor Janelle. <laughs> How are you, Janelle? I'm great. How are you doing? Uh, doing well, getting the week started. Uh, super excited to have this conversation with you. For our listeners, will you say a little bit about uh, who you are and where you're serving? You're sure. our first so my guest on the podcast, so welcome. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah, first time guest on the podcast, first time guest on any podcast, so that's exciting. Um, my name is Janelle Maher. I'm the associate pastor at Christ Community Church in Concord, which is on the NorCal district in California. Um, I've been the associate pastor for the past four-ish years, um, and for the past year, we've been without a senior pastor, so I'm really looking forward to uh, that changing next month. Uh, Pastor Dave Myers is coming to join us, and I'm super stoked for that. Um, but it's been a it's been a real fun year, kind of walking with this congregation in the midst of COVID and politics, and just a hard year for most families, while also experiencing church transitions. So it's been a good year. I've learned a lot. <laughs> yeah, haven't we all learned a lot? Oh my goodness. And also just to brag on you a little bit, you also uh, recently graduated from seminary at Nazarene Theological Seminary and uh, were ordained on the NorCal district. I, You and I got to share our ordination ceremony, um, me because mine was delayed because of COVID and you because you'd finished the work. And so graduation and ordination in the same year and now your first podcast, Milestones. <laughs> Super. I think the podcast is the one that like is the icing on the cake, but, yeah. but sharing ordination with you was a huge highlight. I always joke whenever Ben needs to take a break, I just am excited to read scripture with my friends. And I'm really excited to dive into our passage today, um, especially to have two women talking about a story about two women. So uh, buckle up. It's a long passage, but there's a lot of rich um, texture and nuance to unpack here. So I'm going to be reading from uh, Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21, and I'm reading from the NRSV today. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had, and she was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and come up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. Immediately her hemorrhage stopped and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say who touched me? He looked all around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your suffering. 
While he was still speaking, some people came from the leader's house to say, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the leader of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. He allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the leader of the synagogue, he saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. When he had entered, he said to them, why do you make a commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. <laughs> then he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And immediately the girl got up and began to walk about. She was 12 years of age. At this, they were overcome with amazement, and Jesus strictly ordered them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, man, a long passage. I think maybe we should start with the structure here as Jesus is, um, is called upon to go to heal a sick little girl and then on the way encounters a sick woman pauses um to be fully present to her and there's that first healing uh <laughs> that's the unexpected first healing right the first request is for the daughter the first healing is for this other woman and then the second healing is the young girl who is actually the first request of Jesus. So it's this kind of braided together storyline that happens within these 20 verses or so. Um, is there anything, Janelle, that you notice about that or that you might, um, yeah, notice from the text in, this, in the kind of structure or setup of the story? Yeah, I think the, the interweaving is really interesting. Um, both the woman and Jairus approach Jesus for healing out of faith, but but the woman is very interesting in the way that she is absolutely assured that she would be healed if she could just but touch his cloak. She's not interested in taking any more of his time than that, um, and and seems very surprised when he takes the time. Whereas this the synagogue leader who has like a pretty prominent position comes and seeks Jesus out to come with him, right? Like there, there's a very different demand for Jesus's time and attention between the two. Yeah. Um, and, and that contrast is really interesting in, in the way that this very important male figure um, approaches Jesus versus this woman. Um, really, I think my guess is hoping to not be noticed, hoping to just, touch the cloak and go like to even have been in a public place was very risky for her yeah. in that in that culture like she's virtually impure she should not have been you know quote air quotes should not have been there um uh, there's just some really interesting things that pop out with this interwoven structure of this as okay. one long encounter yeah there's there's some really interesting like parallels like and contrast between them right like they both have a similar position and like with their bodies right they like Jairus kneels before the Lord and begs right and this woman mm -hmm. sneaks up behind Jesus and you can imagine her bending 
over just to like catch a bit of his cloak, right? So there's that mm-hmm. same kind of humility of posture of bowing or bending. Yeah. Um, and, and she and does that, fall to her knees. After yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. She's on her knees before Jesus. So there's like that kind of visual symmetry um, as well as there's this, there's this, boldness in both of them right like Jairus comes in and and begs for Jesus's time to come and see his daughter who's dying who would also be like considered impure and unclean right this is this is the best (laughs) that that they kind of know or understand about germs or sickness is that like you keep your distance right so um uh he's he hasn't brought his daughter to Jesus in the way some other stories show people bringing friends or family members or whatever to encounter Jesus but Jairus boldly demands that Jesus come with him um but then there's this boldness in the woman as she's like she has brought herself out into the world and uh, and yeah. out to meet Jesus. So I do, I just find that I find that so interesting because, like you were saying, I always kind of read her as a more timid figure, someone who's like trying to be unnoticed, and and yet like like she's like this is quite a like a bold and 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 brazen move as well um mm-hmm. and and uh, like holding all of those emotions together as you have these these uh mirrors to each other in the woman and and gyrus that's mm-hmm. super fascinating and it's only very brief but but jesus asked who touched me mm-hmm. and there's before she identifies herself there's like the disciples interjecting, like, how could you even know? Everyone is touching you, Jesus. What do you mean? Who? Who over here hasn't touched you? We're in a crowd. <laughs> she could have easily slipped away if, if it really, if she wasn't so bold, um, she could have just slipped away. She already felt in her body she was healed. And yet that that acknowledgement, that taking that time, um, there, there is something very like unique about that. And I, I think we only get a glimpse of it in reading it, right? Of what that moment actually was. Totally, totally. There's this, there's this whole like supernatural flow of power. And I'm like, listen, can somebody draw me a map? Like, I don't know how that's supposed to work. Like, show me with the arrows, like where, where this is, where and how this is happening, because I don't really know how to explain it. But also, I'm just going to say that there's a lot of other things in this passage that feel otherworldly to me. Like the idea of being in a crowd where everybody's touching each other, like (laughs) post-pandemic life is like, I forgot what that was like. I forgot what it was like to be at a concert and to feel like, like you're like, like the whole crowd is so close together that you're basically moving as one, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and how can you say who touched me? Everybody's yeah. touching you. Even like the person, like 10 people from you is sort of touching you because you're all like shoulder to shoulder and, and next to each other. But it's hard mm-hmm. to remember what that feels like because it's been so long since I've been in a crowd like that. <laughs> right. Like it, this is basically the middle of like stagecoach, and Jesus is like, "Someone touched me. Who's touching me?" Wait, right. you're like, um, "Excuse you, like get right? over like, this." <laughs> but Jesus knows that there's something different that's happening there. He he can feel the things that nobody can see, right? He 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 understands her faith. He understands her her plea, her desperation. Uh, he he knows that at this intuitive spiritual level, um, 
and and I find that so so compelling, right? And and we uh, we have so many other scriptures that that might help us kind of name that. Um, I I've been working through some of the Old Testament lections, and uh, we just had the passage about um, the selection of king david or the selection of shepherd boy david to eventually be king i should more accurately say and that's the passage in first samuel where we hear the famous word like the lord looks at the heart um Mm -hmm. and and we see that like being made manifest in jesus that jesus understands what's happening in these like unseen subterranean places um and he and he know and he knows the difference between a touch of like of faith and just like being in a crowd, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think we get some indications of that in his words to her, right? Like the the go and be well, that follows the, your faith has, well, like in the Greek, right? Is so that like saved you. Yes. That like you've been healed message of yeah. this physical problem is actually secondary to what has happened. Um, it's, it's, it's really interesting that like the, the physical healing is what she feels in her body, but that's actually the secondary consequence. Yeah. Like her faith, however we understand that, right? Like that even is hard for me to wrap my brain around, right? Like that our salvation is something about Jesus's life flowing into our lives that brings other secondary healings and reconciliation and restoration and redemption. But even before that, there is something fundamentally different and spiritually true long before we talk about a life after death or being resurrected with Christ. Like in our lives right now, do we feel and recognize that? And are we able to name that and wrap our heads around that? I don't know that I always am. Yeah, that's so good. Okay, well, this makes me think about the crowd and the difference between this, like, touching. There's so many people who are so close to Jesus. Like, like there's this proximity to Jesus, but nobody else is experiencing the power of Jesus in the way this woman is. And that's, like, that's devastating, right? Like, they're, they're uh, of this entire huge crowd there is one woman who is reaching out to Jesus with that kind of faith or that kind of trust that kind of hope that she might be healed that there that there is like a a powerful abundant life for her and and lord have mercy i never want to be in a place where i'm like right next to Jesus rubbing elbows and missing the power and the healing that Jesus is offering right like yeah. how i mean i'll just speak as one like a uh, ancient church kid, like been in church my whole life. Um, and, but I imagine that there are so many others like that who are like consistently showing up to these sacred spaces and the places where God is meant to be at work. And they're technically rubbing elbows with Jesus, but are we inviting them to experience the power and healing and wholeness that Jesus is offering? Or yeah, or, or are we cultivating and nourishing the kind of faith that would enable them to be reaching out and experiencing something that's so close but but not yeah, yeah but not not available to everyone in some kind mm-hmm. of unique way I don't know I'm struggling to kind of put that into words no yeah yeah there's this this huge contrast 
that is only just making sense to me all of a sudden, but between the proximity of this entire crowd, even the disciples, right, and the intimacy that is experienced by this woman yes. because of her seeking Jesus. And to think about as we unpack some of the things we've I, I've been I've been unpacking some of the things I've learned. I didn't grow up in the church. I came to the church at 19. And yet, in only a brief 14 years, I've added so much into my understanding of Jesus and of Christian faith yeah. that is maybe not really needed and is actually hindering me, right? Like these other expectations. Um, so thinking about this crowd, people that are following Jesus, that are, are saying, teacher, mm-hmm. teacher, right? Like, and even the disciples, all of these teachings and healings, like at this point in Mark, we've heard parables of what the kingdom of God is like. We've seen people free from demon possession. And yet in an entire crowd, there is one person experiencing the truly liberating power of God at work in their life. And the rest are missing it. Right. And that is heavy as people in ministry as people coming into our congregation I'm sure we all know the people in our congregation that are um maybe visibly in proximity and have not experienced the intimacy um of following Jesus very closely yet but it actually makes me think that we need to be asking that question in a really more intentional manner for ourselves Right. whole congregation and and how much of like our expectations of of who Jesus is and what it means to follow Jesus actually needs to be moved out of the way and it it's actually hindering us from coming close and receiving the power of Christ in our own healing yeah oh my gosh and I think especially as folks in ministry we have to be asking those questions I mean they're like pandemic year has been a hard year for everybody um but but it's so much more beyond that in the recent years I've seen so many studies about pastoral burnout um Mm -hmm. and and just people feeling like people in ministry people who are called equipped gifted um in in the vocational work for the long haul people who are feeling so dried up and worn out and and exhausted um people who are who are so physically proximal who are so close to jesus but Mm -hmm. are are far away from this kind of intimacy and power in their lives and man that's heavy that's that's i think pulling me to my knees lately for Mm -hmm. for healing for wholeness for revival for for some for some hope like it's yeah yeah I mean I mean what a tragedy for these folks to 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 be missing out on this like intimacy and the power of God in their life um but I I guess also the good news of the story is that Jesus is always there right that that Mm -hmm. there's that that it's possible (laughs) I I love I love that phrase that he says like don't don't be afraid only believe like Mm -hmm. um and, and sometimes the best you can do is like sort of sneak up in a crowd and think like, maybe I'll just get some scraps. <laughs> like yeah. sometimes it's the best you can hope for. Um, but look at the abundance that is then offered. Yeah. I think there's also a lot of hope in recognizing that thinking of those disciples, right? With the exception of one, 
the the others all go forward to eventually get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and so, so there is this really powerful interaction, this instantaneous healing, um, this, this interaction where just so much um, dignity is bestowed, so much care is shown. um, And especially to then recognize that this is to a woman yeah. Um, not only a woman, a woman who has been cut off from the community by her ritual impurity um, is very much alone and she spent all of her money. Like, so she's now also impoverished. Um, but to recognize that, like, there is a patience to Jesus as well. And there are so many more who then come to believe, come to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, but yeah, I think there's just some really interesting pastoral applications for for that idea of proximity and and I love that you brought up some burnout. I think there's also some just really sad phenomenon I've been hearing like there's so many young people leaving the church, young pastors leaving the church. Yeah. And then a couple of weeks ago I was listening to a podcast, I'm pretty sure it was a podcast, but um they were talking about how there's been a a larger number of pastors who are not just feeling burnt out but literally are having crises of faith like do they even still believe and yet don't feel as if they can wrestle with doubt and deconstruction and burnout um because that's their livelihood right Um, the the way that pastoral ministry is a vocation for so many of us and the the pressure on most of us from our congregations the fact that we don't make much space for doubt um I think is is really tragic because there's there's people who are really suffering and and we don't know how to handle suffering very well. Um, totally, because I because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of shame that's wrapped up in there, which I think brings us brings us to like some of the some of the core elements that are happening in the text. I think you pointed us so beautifully to this like moment of abundant intimate compassion that Jesus bestows on this woman but I think to really like understand the magnitude of that we need to like get down into some of the nitty-gritty about her situation we've mentioned that she's ritually impure because she's she's named as like having um having these hemorrhages or this issue with bleeding and like one I think it's hilarious that well let me walk that back a little I don't think it's hilarious that's not really what I mean um but uh, there, there were lots of things in the ancient world that there weren't any medical names or medical terminology for. Um, and I think it is a little bit problematic to try to read modern medical imagery or, uh, or frameworks onto some of our ancient texts, right? Like some, some people start trying to say like, well, was this person who was possessed, quote unquote, like actually an epileptic or whatever. And I think we can get into some really tricky areas when we try to do that. But what I think is really ironic and interesting is that we still have women's health issues that we don't know how to name <laughs> um, that oh, are yeah. like probably identical to this woman's. And, and so it's, it's one thing to say like, like, oh, there's a lot that we didn't understand about bodies and health and medicine in the ancient world. But listen, when it comes to women's health, there's still so much that <laughs> that people don't know and there's so much shame that's wrapped up in that even now that there's like things that people can't talk about like it's 
like it is unfathomable to me that there are still so many women who are dying in childbirth because there are things that, that like that aren't understood about like women's health and health care um, and then so much shame that's wrapped up into this like not knowing and not knowing how to talk about it and not knowing how to receive proper treatment so if that's true now in the 21st century imagine how much more it's full of shame awkwardness being gaslit or like told it's not a real like not a real issue or not a real thing or there's nothing we can do and so when we come to this it's in the greek like all kind of one long sentence with a series of kind of the the verbs are in this progressive tense i'll do my best with a kind of translation here picking up with verse 25 and a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, who had suffered a great deal or who had been suffering a great deal under the care of many doctors and who had been spending all she had and had been not getting better, but had been getting worse, having heard about Jesus, having come up behind him in the crowd, having touching his cloak, having thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed immediately was healed so there's this like you like you get the sense as the language kind of tumbles out in this sort of progressive tense that that there's just like a mountain of things stacked against her right um mm -hmm. and even in that space she is fighting to get to jesus and finds this immediate healing and compassion you know yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I When you had asked me if I was available for today and I looked at the passage, um, my, my gut reaction was like, ooh, just say no, because like, <laughs> I have some personal insight into some of these things. And there is a lot of shame as you bring up, like, it is still very awkward. And at times, there's just not even enough knowledge or terminology to accurately discuss certain certain health issues especially pertaining to women mm -hmm. um and so like that issue of shame but I just kind of had decided that like you know for such a time as this mm -hmm. maybe I have some experience but um yeah just thinking about even just the word hemorrhages right that the NRSV uses yeah uh I was reading a commentary um on on this passage, I read a couple, but one of the writers was like, certainly no one can live for 12 years, like hemorrhaging. I'm like, oh, this is written by a man. Like you right. clearly a man do who not doesn't know. Understand. Yeah, you clearly do not know that there are women who literally suffer for years and years and years with daily menstrual bleeding. Now, if you're gonna use the word hemorrhage, like no, you cannot survive for 12 years hemorrhaging bleeding but there are women like I um, have been diagnosed with something called polycystic ovarian syndrome which just like my well before I try to explain it it's not <laughs> as if doctors know exactly why it happens or how it happens okay. um, but can cause things like very abnormal 
menstrual cycles, very abnormal menstrual bleeding. Um, and there and was a period of like time. It's often like a cause for, for infertility as well, which also oh, yes. on, on my mind is we're trying to bring the good news to a congregation that's just celebrated Father's Day and Mother's Day, right? Like mm-hmm. there, are, there are people in your congregations who are suffering from the deep pain of infertility <laughs> that like that we need to be aware about if we're going to be able to speak the good news to them. Because also like yeah. as this as this woman um, has been bleeding for 12 years, you know what she's not doing? She's not bearing children, right? Like you, you can't, no. if that's like, that's how bodies work. Right. And, and so thinking about the ancient context, and, as well as the shame of like not being able to produce children or right. Like, and the position yeah. in like, it's, there's, there's just so much that's there that still feels so absolutely contemporary. Yes. To recognize that. Yes. 2000 years later, we do have things that we can do to try to help infertile people. And yet we still don't understand so much of it. There is still a deep sense of shame um, Mm -hmm. for couples that can't have children. And especially like for women that can't or who have lost children, um, who've lost pregnancies. And, And just to recognize that like, if it was, yeah, like there was so much shame in that culture and we would want to think we are different, but we are really not that different. Really there not. are people in our congregation that not only are suffering from these things, they can't speak about it because it is still so taboo in our culture. And yeah. even as the wider culture has started to have a bit more open dialogue about some things that were once taboo, the church is still very locked in most places, at least locked into this notion of purity culture where certain things are just deemed inappropriate or because they're quote unquote private, it's uncomfortable. Um, And so like the, the way that those things are stigmatized, um, I can only imagine the isolation this woman felt after 12 years of spending her life savings, of seeing every doctor for every type of treatment, that none of them are effective. But right. then to also be not just cut off the way many women still are by their silence from community, but physically. She physically cannot participate in life with her family, in life with her neighbors, in worship. There's right. so many things that she is deprived of because of this ritual impurity issue um, it's just, it's really heartbreaking in a sense to think about the amount of suffering and grief that are just completely disenfranchised and overlooked. Um, and it connects to so many women, um, as I've experienced kind of just some of these things, I have not had the worst experience possible with one of these disorders. I've had to have a surgery, um, I'm not married yet, but as I, you know, date and things like that, that is a question of if in the future I can't have children, where are we at with that? What's our comfort level for both of us? Um, And have had some, you know, really unfun, really just hard doctor's appointments where again, like you said, gaslighting or just no answers. Like, but there are women who literally suffer from some of these things. I know two different women who in their 20s and 30s have had to have like full hysterectomies or have basically been told like um, there's just absolutely no way you'll be able to bear children 
um, have had multiple surgeries. A friend of mine nearly died from endometriosis because again, doctors until very recently were all men. Yeah. And so surprise, surprise, they focused mostly on men's issues. Um, let's just think about the fact that less than a hundred years ago, women who were suffering from depression and like, especially like postpartum depression, but like even other just issues would be institutionalized as hysterical. Yeah, exactly. And well, and so, so like we, we realized that like, that's not all that far away from me. And I think one of the reasons why it's important to talk about like some really kind of nitty gritty medical stuff is like, because that's ignored by the wider culture as like a very painful experience for women, but it also masks so much emotional and spiritual suffering, right? There's a grief that's unacknowledged when you don't acknowledge a physical pain or disease, right? There's, there's a, uh, there's a suffering and a loneliness that goes unacknowledged in, in the face of this. And so, so it's, it's not just like, like that, um, that, that it's important to understand like what's actually physically happening with the bodies in the story because Jesus cares about their bodies. Um, but also about like the sort of, like we were talking about that spiritual flow of power um, and healing before that there that there are so many forces of suffering, grief, loneliness, isolation, shame, all of that stuff that's happening under the surface that you can't like diagnose at a doctor's visit necessarily. Yeah. But Jesus sees and is healing, right? And mm-hmm. and that's good news to our people, right? That like yeah. that's that's the good news that that we I think have a responsibility to bring people toward to, to this moment where Jesus responds to say, despite all of the doctors that didn't believe you, despite all of the ways that you were isolated, the, despite all of the personal shame that you've heaped on yourself or has been brought on by other people, dis, despite all of these things, fill in the blanks, that your dashed hopes and dreams that haven't come true, et cetera, et cetera. Despite all of those things, what does Jesus call her? daughter like mm-hmm. you you are healed your whole you're sent forth in peace like and and I I think that's like good news that our people are desperate to hear absolutely and I think you bring up a really good point about the emotional and spiritual effects of this we talk a lot in the church about the church being a family yeah and so to be brothers and sisters to be sons and daughters and children of God um, and, and God's mission for creation is life and life abundant. And so to talk about what it means to exist in a world where God's plan for the fruitfulness of all creation isn't fully realized and we are still affected by decay and death and disease and, and to hold space for the ways in which even just our own understanding of God might bring doubt and questions. I think there's a lot of people in the church, especially who have felt rather than being a place where they could bring that hurt and lament and find solidarity and support have felt shamed or have been told that their, if their faith were just stronger, if they just prayed harder, that either they would, you know, be healed or they they'd become accepting of the loneliness or accepting of their pain um there's just so much sometimes in the church where 
we don't hold space well for that um, both very emotional and very spiritual suffering um, and healing. Like the healing, it's very hard to find healing of something you have not acknowledged and made space to bring to the feet of Jesus. And when it's the church itself kind of telling you, you know, it's your faith. Maybe, maybe the church isn't always actively saying, um, it's your body itself. That's like the shameful thing, but like, you know, why isn't your faith stronger? Have you tried praying? And we see that in way more than just things like, um, diseases that cause infertility, like talk about mental health issues. Totally. How many of the people in our pews either were raised by or raised their children to believe you don't go see a therapist, you pray more. You don't take medication. You need to go to church more often. You know, there, there's a really big point about that of like recognizing, recognizing how we as the people of God are invited into this space of recognizing others, seeing them um, the way that Jesus stops and sees this woman and speaking life and healing and the good news of the gospel over them. Um, and that doesn't preclude doctors and medicine and all these other very helpful things when you can get them, um, not to, yeah. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I like, as you're talking about creating space for this, like grief and lament, I think that there's like so much, um, there's so much more to say about that, especially when we come to the end of this story, when Jesus kind of quote, finally gets where he's going. I mean, every, every stop along the way was where he was going, but when he finally Mm -hmm. gets to Jairus's house to, to meet his daughter and she has already died and he brings her back to life and then says, somebody get this girl a snack because she's hungry. (laughs) Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like there's this miraculous end to the story, but also I think the subtext here is that not every lost child is restored like like yeah. that that this is I, and and so so I get again that just feels so heavy um underneath the surface when we come to this to this passage especially I guess I'm just thinking quite a lot about like being in the wake of Father's Day and of Mother's Day and of mm-hmm. like like how do you how do you talk about um, Jesus bringing a child back to life when so many people have lost children or, or the, the hope of children, um, in what do you do about all the things that Jesus doesn't make right? Or all the, all the kids that Jesus doesn't heal, all of the bodies that Jesus doesn't set right. Like, like where, where's the space to kind of grieve some of those losses in the midst of some of this, I guess. Well, and even to take a step back and wider our view, like widen our viewpoint, um, I always am reminded of when Jesus raises Lazarus. Yeah. But he weeps first because Lazarus will go on to die again. And yeah. this young girl, whether, you know, she lives 20 years, 40 years, two weeks, we don't know, yeah. um, but she will go on to experience death again. And there will be people who mourn that. Um, and so to think about in the wake of COVID, we had a, a gentleman in our church yesterday who got up after the benediction and took the microphone to give a testimony, um, which I love that my congregation is like that because I was so <laughs> grateful to hear what he had to share. But his wife had texted him that morning. She's been visiting family 
she lost four siblings to COVID and they had a memorial service yesterday for all four of them. Wow. And he's brokenhearted crying for her, but the things that she shared about having peace in those moments, um, it can only be explained by the gift of God, like to, to make space for loss and grief and then still recognize that Jesus is present. Um, you know, I, I think there is something very visceral about like, make her something to eat. She yeah. is still human. She still has physical human needs and she will go on to be human, which is to be mortal, which is to be subject to death and decay. Um, but but then the good news of the story again is that that yeah. that's not the end of the story I think that this like like give her something to eat at the end of the story has such like eucharistic feelings for me yeah. that it just like and that's what happens every single time we come to the table we talk about Jesus's body that was broken for us Jesus's blood that was shed for us and spilled for us so that we might be made whole and and yeah. and you don't and you don't get to the resurrection without first talking about the broken body and the and the three days in the tomb right um, yeah. and and so there there is I think this like this deep invitation to lean into honestly naming the suffering and grief of the human experience whether that's acknowledged by doctors or not whether that's like um whether yeah how however that kind of comes out or comes together to like name and acknowledge the suffering um, and grief and shame that's like all bubbling up under the surface and then to hear the good news spoken to us that that christ has died Christ has risen and Christ is coming again. Um, and that, that, that same power that conquers the grave lives in us and empowers us to Amen. live holy lives. That, 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 that like flow of power and healing and wholeness is still available now, but we don't get there by ignoring the pain and suffering. We, we, we come through it by the help of Jesus's love and compassion and attention and presence. Right. Absolutely, right? The the ultimate experience of human suffering, death, yeah, becomes the means by which Jesus's life flows into us and our lives are incorporated into the life of Jesus. Yes. As you said, like to separate any one part out, Jesus's life, Jesus's death, Jesus's resurrection, to try to we have to be able to hold all three intention. Only by holding all three intention are we truly partaking of all three and being incorporated into all three. And so I love that the end of the story is not um, just the death has been avoided for today or disease has been thwarted today, but I... but that taking us towards Eucharist, towards Thanksgiving. Yeah. towards really um, not just sitting with the acknowledgement of the pain and the suffering, although I think that is very important in our culture, but to sit with the enormity of a God who becomes incarnate, who takes on flesh, who looks into the face of this overlooked woman and speaks life over her, taking the time in the middle of this like already pressing request for healing right like yeah so much dignity being bestowed so much care and 
that ministry of just presence that we all ascribe to or like hope to, um, to, to hold all of that and recognizing that that same God experienced and overcame death that we might also overcome death and be fully reconciled within our own bodies, within our communities, with God, with all creation, because the narrative that God is working and unfolding is moving all creation towards full, abundant, healed, restored goodness in life. Uh, amen. Come Lord Jesus. <laughs> I, yeah, I just feel like that's a perfect place to wrap up our conversation for today. There's so much that's happening in this, in this passage. I feel like we've only barely kind of scratched the surface. So hopefully our like enthusiastic half big thoughts have been helpful to our listeners. Um, and we remind you all to check out our website. There's some stellar written commentaries as always chime in on our Facebook discussion page, follow us on the social medias, subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. If you're finding this resource helpful, we always love to hear from you. It's really the highlight of, um, our ministry and work here. So from us to you preach boldly, Peace. We'll see you next week.